X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Tuesday, September 22nd. Today, back in the day, September 22nd, 1862, Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. That granted freedom to enslaved people the following January, and it stated, I am quoting, all persons held as slaves within any state or any designated part of a state. The people whereof shall then be in rebellion against the United States shall be then, thenceforward, and forever free. The order applied to just the 10 states where rebellion was occurring, and it took until 1865 for slavery to be entirely abolished. Today, back in the day, September 22, 1926, George Katagiri, an educator known for maintaining the legacy of Japanese-American history, was born in Portland. His work would eventually lead to the creation of the Bill of Rights Memorial at the Tom McCall Waterfront Park. You can go see it. And today, back in the day, September 22, 1980, the first Gulf War began when Iraq invaded Iran. And that was the end of that story. It all wrapped up pretty tidy after that. We'll start with the Quick 6 News headlines. We'll have an interview with Ali Rosenbluth from Rogue Climate on the wildfires in Southern Oregon and the ongoing climate work. X-Ray. First up, it is time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Firefighters continue to make progress across the state. The good news is most fires have stopped spreading. Six of the state's largest fires didn't grow at all over the weekend. The fire in Clackamas County is 25% contained. Lincoln City Blaze is 90% contained. That's getting close. Three fires still grew over 1,000 acres from Sunday to Monday. And the air quality continues to improve as well. Portland's air quality yesterday was listed as moderate. There are patches of unhealthy air still covering southwestern Oregon as well as Clackamas, Marion, and Lynn counties. And more information is coming out about gaps in the state's emergency protocols. Jackson County's emergency alert system failed to notify some residents. Jackson County uses an emergency notification system called the Integrated Public Alert and Warning System, a.k.a. IPAWS. IPAWS is supposed to broadcast on AM, FM radio, satellite radio, television, and on cell phones. But no IPAWS message was sent out when the Almeida fire caused evacuation warnings in the county. In fact, Jackson County hasn't even tested the wireless emergency system live prior to the fires. More than 2,300 homes were damaged or destroyed in the Almeida fire. And due to efforts from firefighters and law enforcement, only three people died in the blaze. And the Almeida fire is now contained. Officials say they are now debriefing about the response to that fire. 201 new confirmed cases bringing us just shy of 31,000, actually 3,995, three new deaths. Death toll now sits at 529. And last week, the rate of positive coronavirus tests rose to 6.2%. That's the highest it's been since July and bigger than we just reported it. The first uptick in cases after six weeks in decline. And these are the first upticks in cases after weeks of decline. Public health experts were expecting an increase after Labor Day. Summer holidays like the 4th of July and Memorial Day also did cause a spike in cases. But no one was expecting the new conditions caused by the wildfires. In this case, evacuations and recommendations to stay indoors have caused testing to slow in many counties. Evacuations and recommendations to stay indoors have caused testing to slow in a bunch of counties. The Oregon State Public Health Laboratory, for instance, was closed for two days, as were many other outdoor testing facilities. With air quality improving, though, testing has resumed. Governor Kate Brown has vetoed parts of the state budget to save money for disaster relief. Back in August, legislators passed six bills related to the budget. Brown's vetoes will target line items in two of those bills. First, Governor Brown is eliminating $100 million given to the legislative e-board, the emergency board, to deal with the pandemic. That money will instead be kept in state holdings. She's also eliminating $17 million in proposed cuts to various agencies. That includes the Department of Forestry, the Department of Environmental Quality, and state police. 
Each of these agencies have played important roles in fighting the fires. She'll also preserve a $200,000 state account dedicated to housing low-income fire evacuees. And she says these vetoes will increase the cushion for the current two-year budget by $65 million. Although some lawmakers expressed concern that Brown was overstepping her powers, she faced no pushback on Monday. Former Mayor Sam Adams has endorsed a candidate in the city council race he was a candidate in. He has endorsed Mingus Maps in Mingus Maps' race against Commissioner Chloe Udaley. Sam Adams, of course, ran in that race. It was really close in the primary. He got 27% of the vote. Mingus Maps got 28%. Chloe Udaley got 31%. In an email announcing his endorsement, Adams said Maps had the skills to heal and repair the city. He said Maps could represent all of Portland and every one of the 95 neighborhoods and neighborhood business districts in the city. Adams didn't mention Udaley by name, but his mention of neighborhoods suggests he had her in mind. Udaley has spearheaded an effort to restructure Portland's neighborhood association system. Maps has opposed those changes. Adams also praised the idea of having another black member on the city council, especially with racial justice and police reform on everyone's minds. Notably, Mingus Maps currently does have the endorsement of the Portland Police Association, the city's powerful police union. And former Multnomah County Commissioner and recent city council candidate Loretta Smith came out with an endorsement for Sarah Anarone for Portland mayor. Loretta Smith led a list of black community leaders endorsing Sarah Anarone. And the Trump administration, Donald Trump is the president right now, he has threatened to withhold federal funding from Portland, Seattle, and New York City. The Justice Department condemned those cities for permitting violence and the destruction of property. Portland, Seattle, New York City were called anarchist jurisdictions in a memo from the White House earlier this month. That memo laid out guidelines on how to withhold federal funding from the cities. Bill Barr implied giving the cities their budgeted tax dollars would be wasting money. And Mayor Wheeler and the mayors of Seattle and New York City were quick to respond in a joint statement they called the Department of Justice's threat thoroughly political and unconstitutional. In the past, the Trump administration was unsuccessful in a similar attempt to cut funding in New York City and other cities over immigration policy. A federal judge ruled that such an attempt violated the separation of powers detailed in the Constitution. Department of Justice said it would consider adding other cities to their list of anarchist jurisdictions. What's their criteria? They might add a city to the list if a city leader disempowers or defunds police departments, or if they unreasonably refuse to accept law enforcement help from the federal government. Of course, some weeks ago, the presence of federal police officers increased tensions at the Portland protests. In recent weeks, Attorney General Barr has urged federal prosecutors to more aggressively pursue cases against local protesters. The Charles Jordan Community Center will operate as a homeless shelter until March of next year. When the pandemic hit, many buildings owned by the City Parks Bureau had to close for public safety. But recently, the community center opened again to provide shelter for people who became homeless from the hazardous air quality. It's currently being run by Do Good Multnomah, a shelter and housing services nonprofit. The center has 100 beds, provides access to meals, showers, laundry, and storage. It also has resources to help individuals find more permanent housing. And the center will be open 24 hours a day. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. Up next, we have an interview with Ali Rosenblut, the Communications Director for Rogue Climate. She talks about the different types of support Rogue Climate has been offering to communities in Southern Oregon affected by climate change over the last few years, despite facing their own obstacles. She also discusses how Rogue Climate has organized mutual aid for communities affected by the current wildfires across Oregon. Here's Ali Rosenbluth speaking with X-Ray's Jefferson Smith. Seven years. Rogue Climate has been working to empower Southern Oregon communities most impacted by climate change. What's climate change? That's the reason that forests are so dry, so that when somebody starts a fire, the fire keeps spreading, just in case. 
It's the thing that some people keep saying doesn't exist, isn't real, isn't human caused, or is too costly to do something about. Last week, their office burned down in the Alameda fire during one of the most destructive fire season Oregon has ever seen, ever. But rogue climate is still working, even without an office, to provide material and support to communities affected by those fires. Here to talk to us about it, about fires, about mutual aid, about climate justice, is Allie Rosenbluth, the communications director for Rogue Climate. Allie, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on today. You had your office burned down? Yeah, so on uh, Tuesday, last Tuesday during the Almeida fire, um, which started in Ashland, spread and decimated parts of Talent and Phoenix, um, our office burned down um, on the north side of Phoenix um, on Tuesday because of the Almeida fire. Was anybody there? Maybe everybody evacuated because you knew it was coming. What was the scene like? How did you how did you cope with that going on? Yeah, so um, most of our staff have been working remotely because of the COVID-19 crisis. Um, and actually, I had been working from the office during the during COVID-19 uh, because uh, I have I live rurally and my internet was very slow. So luckily that day, I actually took the morning off um, to work in my garden, and I got the call from my friends um, telling me to evacuate talent. Um, and me and my roommate and my cat got out. All of our staff and board members are safe. There are dozens of volunteers and other community members um, in our network who have lost their homes um, and are currently displaced. So right now we are really working to show up for those folks and for everybody, the hundreds or thousands of people in our community who are currently displaced. In a mild piece of good news, I guess, the death count, as of my understanding, in southern Oregon, based on that fire, has been reduced. It's dropped to three. I guess more people have been found. Uh, and now the Almeda fire is now contained as of a couple of days ago? Yes, um, the Almeda fire is contained, and we are um, you know, very heartbroken for those three lives that have been lost. Um, and we are really you know, hoping that that is all that is found um, of the death count in the, the Rogue Valley fires. Um, yeah, and we have found, I mean, their officials are still counting, but I think there are about uh, 2,300 uh, housing units that have been burned. And the majority of those are low-income housing, many mobile uh, home parks where a lot of Latinx community members lived, lots of uh, migrant farm workers lived in those mar- mobile park homes. And we're really seeing that uh, the Latinx community and the unhoused community in particular um, are especially suffering um, due to this crisis. There is, uh, this is not one of my prepared questions, but I've got to ask. So I've spent some time in Southern Oregon. Our, uh, my my stepmother stepbrother actually lived in Phoenix uh, when, when I was mm-hmm. a little kid. And uh, so I'm pretty familiar with the area. And I'm f- relatively familiar with the politics of the area. I know the significant difference. I think a lot of us know the significant uh, difference between Ashland, Phoenix, Talent, Medford, and other areas surrounding. And right now, there is it, it, it feels absurd that there is a debate, that there ever was a pretend scientific debate, because the science was so clear about climate change, about its potential impacts, at the risk of being sort of, rude about the individual impact what is the discussion about 
climate change now in Southern Oregon? Is it still as model as it was before? Yeah, well, in Southern Oregon, we had been fighting the Jordan Cove LNG export terminal and fracked gas pipeline for over 15 years. And through that um, campaign, we have seen people who uh, either didn't know or or didn't believe in climate change um, really come around and start thinking, uh, oh, you know, I'm seeing these impacts in my day-to-day lives. This is the thing these people keep talking about with this gas pipeline. And, you know, that project... Um, fighting that project has brought together um, farmers, um, climate activists, <laughs> um, you know, people across the political spectrum where we can have frank and honest conversations around climate change and what it means for our community. We feel like when we talk about climate change in uh, local terms, uh, you know, whether it's the impacts of climate that our communities are seeing right now um, or the actual local actions that our communities can take, they're things that are good for everybody in our community, and they're things that are generally supported uh, by people across the political spectrum. And so at Real Climate, that's really um, critical to our strategy is finding the common ground and bringing people together, um, whether they're um, unhoused and documented um, or uh, rural and, uh, yeah. You've been offering mutual aid and disaster relief and working towards those efforts since the fires started. What do those efforts look like on the ground there? Yeah, so um, even before the fires were contained, um, Rogue Climate and Rogue Action Center, which is the other organization um, that was housed in the office that we um, used to have, um, which is a nonprofit that works on housing, economic, and racial justice. Um, we already had networks of volunteers, of community leaders, um, of other community groups that were willing to also throw down on mutual aid. And so we immediately uh, got those folks together um, virtually because we were all disp- we were all in different places, uh, evacuated the fi- evacuating the fire, and made a plan for how we were going to get supplies donated to our communities who have been displaced and uh, redistribute them out. So we have had at one point, I think, six locations where people have been able to drop off and pick up supplies. Um, Right now, there, I think, are around four locations where people can pick up supplies. Um, We've had to consolidate because there is a chance of rain tonight, which we are really excited for, but also really needing to prepare for um, because so many people who lost uh, you know, everything they had uh, no longer have their rain gear um, and they are um, living out on the streets in their cars or um, in tents um, around our community. So right now we're really preparing for that rain event. Um, and how is it looking now? Yesterday when we went to bed, we were thinking that rain was pretty likely today. As we wake up this morning now, it looks like the chances of rain really don't pick up until almost overnight uh, moving into tomorrow, what is it looking like in Southern Oregon? Yeah, it's it's the same. There's a 50% chance of rain this evening, so um, we were preparing for it all day. Um, you know, it could come whenever, <laughs> um, but it, it sounds like it's coming this evening. And, uh, you know, we want to make sure that people who have been displaced by this fire aren't waking up in the middle of the night um, soaked. So we are currently trying to get a lot of rain gear donated um, in the Rogue Valley for people to immediately take um, and uh, protect themselves from from a really soaked, soaked night. What kinds of supplies, what sort of support are you getting the most uh, requests for? Do people need the most right now? 
Yeah, well, people need a lot of things right now. Um, financial assistance is a huge one, and uh, Road Climate, along with a group of other local organizations that are uh, working on the ground to support people who have been displaced by these fires, actually launched the Rogue Valley Relief Fund, which folks can donate to, and that money is going out directly to uh, community members who have been displaced. We have gotten, I think, over uh, $15,000 out to people in either emergency housing aid or direct financial assistance. Um, People also really need masks, uh, N95 and respirators, um, because the air quality here is extremely terrible. (laughs) Um, People need everything from diapers to food to water um, to tents, camping gear, um, all sorts of things. As you can imagine, if if you had to run out of your home with less than minutes to spare, you would have very little in your car ready to take with you. So um, pretty much everything uh, that you could think of, we are um, needing to collect. We have a, a over, we have more than enough clothes than we need. Lots of people like to bring their like bag of Goodwill clothes that they wanted to get rid of anyway. Um, we, we don't need any more of that at the moment, um, but um, we do need more supplies for people to be able to um start rebuilding um, their lives um, in the Rogue Valley. You focus on mutual aid, not charity. For the uninitiated, of which I am somewhat initiated, I guess I'm initiated now, what's the difference? Yeah, so mutual aid is our community showing up for ourselves, right? It is mutual and it is not uh, this idea of charity where uh, outside organization with no connections to the people in our community show up and try to help. Um, mutual aid is so much faster um, than charity because, like I said before, groups like Rogue Climate and the Rogue Action Center already had those networks developed. Um, it's meeting our community where it's at and what it's need, and it's, it's people who have been impacted by whatever disaster um, is being responded to taking action themselves. We are talking to Allie Rosenbluth. Allie Rosenbluth is with Rogue Climate, has been dealing with the Almeida fire uh, in southern Oregon. It is now contained, and they are praying, hoping, and crossing fingers for rain. Give an example of what, how mutual aid is different from charity. You, you gave sort of a definition of what mutual aid is more local. It's from person to person. It's in common communities distinct from without. Give an example of, of where... Uh, mutual aid shows or another example of mutual aid shows particular advantage? Yeah, so in this example, um, we were able to, even before the fires were were contained, we were able to set up uh, supply drop-off locations and pick-up locations in our community um, immediately. Um, that sort of thing hasn't uh, uh, wasn't able to happen as quickly with organizations like the Red Cross and FEMA. Um, so that's that's one thing. Um, we also know that there's a lot of um, distrust, especially in uh, immigrant communities with the federal government. And so a lot of folks um, are nervous around receiving aid from organiz- or from state entities like FEMA, um, which, you know, uh, folks are you know concerned about how uh the federal government is uh, treating undocumented people right now. So um, that's another thing is that there's already community trust 
um, because, you know, we are part of this community and we're neighbors and we're, we're showing up for each other in this moment. Climate change again. How has fire season changed? We know it's gotten worse, but what does that look like and what is driving it from your analysis? Yeah, so in the last um, generation, climate change has actually doubled the numbers of fires in, on the West Coast. And even if the Almeida fire was started by a human, it was spanned by exceptionally hot, dry, and windy conditions that climate change is producing. So scientists have known about this link for decades. Um, and even the EPA warned Congress in 1989 that the incidence of catastrophic wildfires will increase in the U.S. forests with higher temperatures. That was many years before I was born. Um, and uh, I and my community are, are, are living examples of that, that that is true. As the climate warms, because of fossil fuel corporations continuing uh, uh, to prioritize corporate profit over our community's health, um, these wildfires are going to become more and more intense and larger. And so uh, with climate change, we have hotter, drier seasons. Also, in this case, the Almeida fire was really stoked by uh, the heavy winds that we saw uh, last Tuesday. And that uh, was uh, in part due to some really unusual weather patterns that we hadn't seen in Southern Oregon before, um, where there was, uh, you know, two weeks of uh, 110 degrees weather in the Rogue Valley um, with a cold front to the east of us. You know, they had snow in Colorado just the night before this fire happened and a cold front to the north. When those systems mixed, uh, it turned into this massive wind event um, that stoked this fire, um, which already had a lot of fuel because of dry grass all over the valley um, that it ate up um, while destroying thousands of homes and um, really, really damaging uh, talent in Phoenix, especially. Yeah, I was talking to my wife, and there was uh, there are all sorts of who done it, uh, Twitter posts, and arrests for uh, people accused of arson. And my wife said, "Was listen, people have been starting fires. There've been fires since humans started. Heck, since before humans. What's different now is that we're living in kindling that humans caused. And what you added." Uh, was not only that, but with global warming, others have called global weirding, we're seeing weather events that we never saw before. And the reason we're seeing them now is because of climate change, yeah? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the fossil fuel corporations and politicians knew that this was going to happen. And this is a result of that decision, right? They could have uh, taken action and passed a Green New Deal or other climate policies that would have reduced the emissions and stopped this kind of warming, you know, 30 years ago when they found out that this is what was likely going to happen to small communities like ours on the Rogue Valley, um, but they chose not to. And so it's up to us to continue to demand urgent climate action, to continue to push uh, for an Oregon Green New Deal, to continue to push to stop the Jordan Cove LNG export terminal, which would be the largest climate polluter in the state and also proposed in Southern Oregon. Um, and so it's time for everybody to, to act. Um, this, uh, you know, I've, I've talked about climate change all my life, um, and this is the, one of the first times where I'm really experiencing, um, and my whole community is experiencing, how, uh, how devastating um, these, what, these new impacts of climate change are 
on our homes. Will large-scale propaganda prevent a backlash against climate change deniers? And let me say just a little bit more. Normally, you'd ma- imagine, I remember a law professor of mine who used to talk about this with tobacco companies, normally you'd imagine that there would be a, a backlash to an, a set of entities who had been lying to people for years and years and years. So, so you know, they're, they're, you'd ought to see reduced tobacco sales and even resentment at tobacco companies when you realize that they had been telling, they've been doing ads about like the, it'll clean out your T-zone and getting doctors to sell cigarettes when the entire time they knew it was cancer causing. And that ought to, it ought to cause a backlash. It caused a little bit of a backlash, but paid media being what it was, it caused less than one might imagine. Mm-hmm. In maybe even worst, a worst case scenario, we now know that there are, Countless people losing their homes, some people losing their lives, and lots more to look forward to. Not even talking about if you live on an island that is close to sea level that might not exist in blank number of years. And I wonder, will there be the kind of backlash to the political movements and to the large scale financial organizations? You said the word corporation. I use the same word that have been hiding and or obfuscating and or absolutely outright lying about climate change and its impacts for decades. Will you think, though, we move to a place where 80 percent, 70 percent, heck, even two thirds of the American people uh, have backlash against those movements? Or do you think that the power of mass communications funded by the very profits helped fuel by those lies will continue this to be sort of a perpetuating uh, apology machine? Yeah, so the fossil fuel industry continues to lie about their impact on our communities. They continue to lie that, you know, fracked gas is natural gas, but it's good for us, which we know it's not. It uh, warms our climate even faster than uh, CO2 does. Um, They lie that climate action is going to kill jobs, which we know it won't. We know it will spur investment into our economies that will create jobs in a new economy um, that is sustainable and uh, an economy where we take care of each other. Um, And so we have to use the power that we have as a mass movement to push back against this and to hold our elected leaders accountable. And I I believe that we will hold these elected leaders and also these corporations accountable for uh, the continued lying that they have done um, to people across the world. And uh, I think, you know, if you haven't been involved in the, the climate movement or movements for social justice um, in your community, like the time is now to go and volunteer and be a part of that mass movement for change um, in whatever way um, you're comfortable with, you know, whether it's, you know, making donations, uh, being an artist or organizing on the ground, um, mutual aid or or big climate events. Um, There are lots of ways for folks to plug in right now. And I know in Portland, there are a lot of groups that um, are doing that work, including 350PDX, um, Opal Environmental Justice, and, and so many more. Allie Rosenbluth, Rogue Climate. Are you okay? You have a good place to be. I know you lo- y'all lost your office, but everything okay in your world? Anything you need? Anything else you need to plug before we go? Yeah, I'm, I'm safe at a friend's house. I do want to plug that there is a donation drive in Portland that is being hosted by the Oregon at the Oregon Sierra Club office, which is 1821 Southeast and Kenny Street. Um, in Portland. So that's going to be going through the weekend at least. Um, so if you have, you know, good quality 
uh, supplies for folks um, in Southern Oregon, non-perishable foods, uh, N95 masks, um, you know, water containers, uh, you know, anything that uh, is listed on the Sierra Club's website or their social media, um, please, please bring it um, and they will get it down to Southern Oregon so that we can get it out to folks who have been displaced by this fire. You can also, if you'd like to make financial donations, um, please check out Rogue Valley Relief Fund. Um, the link is bit.ly slash RV fire relief. Um, and folks can make donations there. And that money is going to go right now directly to helping people who have been displaced meet their needs. And in the long term, we're really hoping that it will help rebuild our community in a way that um, is uh, even uh, better than it was before. Allie Rosenbluth, thanks for your work and thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks to Allie for joining The Local. Thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown in about 30 minutes. Thanks for subscribing, giving your five-star review, and thank you, Democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.